Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hey there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios, and today my guest is Rebecca Love, who's the Chief Clinical Officer of IntelliCare and the founder of HireNurses.com. Rebecca was the first nurse featured on the TED stage, and she's one of the country's most prominent advocates for nurses. She and I talked about the many reasons why it's important to include the nurse perspective into the health IT product and service designs from the get-go. So I think you're gonna like what she has to say, and let's get to it. Thank you, Rebecca, for joining me today. I am really thrilled to get to know you and kind of your piece of the healthcare slash health IT puzzle. Would you mind taking a minute to introduce yourself and talking about what you do and, you know, where you spend your time? Yeah, Joey, thanks so much for having me. And Rebecca Love, I'm a nurse by training. I serve as uh, my day job as the chief clinical officer of an organization called IntelliCare. But also in my spare time, I'm the president of a nonprofit called Sanciel, which is the Society of Nurse Scientists, Innovators, Entrepreneurs, and Leaders, which is really focused on empowering the nursing profession to drive forward healthcare innovation. But I spend a lot of my time just thinking and living nursing and figuring out how we solve the major crises that we're facing in the nursing profession because things are bad as you've probably been hearing on the on the national, but also on the global level of the shortage that we're facing and challenges that we're facing in the profession unlike anything we've seen. Okay, first, so somebody who that's not like at their own pulse, I'm sure your fingers are on that pulse. Can you break it down? What are the biggest challenges that nurses are facing right now? Yeah, so I think that the, let's just start at the very top level. In the United States, there's over 4 million nurses in the United States. They're the largest healthcare workforce, but not only that, are they, they're the largest profession in the United States. There's more nurses than teachers, police officers, any other specialty. And in the last two years, especially with COVID, there was already a shortage of nursing before going into COVID, but we've seen a mass acceleration of this shortage. So to give you an idea, the average age of a nurse in this country is 50 years old. 70% of our workforce is over the age of 40. But something that is shocking that's happened is because of COVID, the largest exodus in our profession is coming from nurses with less than one year of experience. 
And that is bad because in 2000, we know the exodus from the profession in 2020 and 21 was the largest we've seen on record in United States history. And we're predicting another 500,000 nurses to leave the profession by 2022. What that means is we're accelerating what we expected is a 1.1 million nursing shortage that was supposed to hit in 2030 to now hit somewhere between the year of 2022 and 2025. And why that's important or significant joy is because nurses are the foundation of our healthcare system. The reason you go to a hospital or nursing home is because you need nursing care. And they find without nursing care that your life is at risk. And anything else, OT, PT, surgery could all be done in outpatient centers. But when there is no nurses, people die. And that's what's happening. We have a 20% shortage of nurses in hospitals today, the highest it's ever been. And we see 130% turnover of nursing staff within nursing homes annually. And there doesn't appear to be a good solution in the near term in sight. Oh, shoot. Well, that was going to be my my question. Well, how do we solve the problem? I think that there are some things. Short term is going to be a little bit tougher. There's Mercer just released a study that said in the next five years, 29 states are going to have significant shortages of their nursing workforce with another 24 mixing over supplier in and out supply challenges. So how do we fix it? And Joy, I'm sure you've, you've heard this before. It is going to take massive amounts of challenging the status quo. The way that we've been dealing with the nursing profession as a profession, treated as a commodity, going in and how we're funding it, everything has to be re-engineered. We know that the status quo is failing it and we have to come at it with new innovative ideas. So different things such as new educational pathways. How do we upskill our nursing workforce? Those that started for something called a certified nursing assistant, which is a three-month program. How do we grow our LPN workforce or LVN workforce, which is a, what we would consider a one-year true nursing degree. Technically, it's two because it takes a year of prereqs. And then how do we set them up still on that working force ladder is going to be very important. Today, though, of that 4 million nursing workforce store, there are 570,000 active RN licenses in the United States of nurses who are not practicing. Now, why are they not practicing? The truth is, is there a lot of the argument that I'm hearing from the nursing workforce and those who are leaving is that they no longer will work in the environments that healthcare has made them feel like they are such a commodity. And the reality is, We have to re-engineer how nurses have worked, that work-life balance, how we engage with them, how we schedule them, how we shift with them, because then we have a possibility of re-engaging with this profession who has left the bedside and bring them back to the bedside to try to alleviate this massive shortage so we can't just have them go cold turkey. So I think there's a couple of faucets, increased education pathways, but also how do we create better schedules and shifts management so that nurses who say, you know what, I can't keep working in the environments like I was, but I wouldn't mind picking up one shift a month to help alleviate that um, challenge. We just need to really rethink how we're how we're dealing with those nurses. So, does is that happen on like a hospital or a clinic setting by setting, or is it something that happens on a system level? <sighs> So I wish to tell you, yeah, I, I know what I do. I, you know, I know you talk to other people in healthcare and everybody's like, we just need to blow up healthcare because <laughs> it's such a mess. And every hospital, when you've worked with one hospital, you've worked with one hospital, right? And right. the challenge with shift scheduling, even this, even hospitals can't share staff easily among floors. Like we're using antiquated technology to manage a nursing workforce who everything else in our day-to-day lives, we use technology to make it better. We use technology to make it worse in the situations of nursing right now. 
now. So I think to your point, the answer is it would be great for a uniform system that could actually do these things. That unfortunately does not exist within hospital systems or healthcare systems today. They have not invested in it, but it does exist in the external agencies who are creating these alternative highly mobile workforces that are able to move nurses across different locations and facilities easily because they have a central credentialing system and a central platform that allows nurses to see all these shifts in one space. Similar, you know, exactly what we're doing at IntelliCare, which has helped us do some of that. But from that perspective, we really need to start looking at other systems doing it in addition. Yeah. So that's the, the thing that shows up for me is when, when you're sort of in crisis mode or survival mode, it's really hard to slow down because you're just like, I got to handle the next thing in front of me, in front of me, in front of me. And you're just dealing with just the problem at hand. But if the problem gets so big, you realize like, oh, shoot, we got to slow down so that we can create a better system and then speed back up again. Is that what you do a little bit at IntelliCare? So I think it's, so I think that the hard thing with nursing, right, is as we mentioned, nurses are the baseline of healthcare. And when there's not enough nurses, people die because there isn't there to deliver care. And you need 24-7 coverage. So 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, you need nurses to be there. So slowing down in other industries, we say, hey, let's take a step back and let's see, you know what, if we're not going to use fax machines here, we can consider new technology. The reality is, is healthcare is an acute episode, right? People get sick or get in car accidents or things, and they need care right then, right? So it's not like we we have a lot of predictive analytics to necessarily drive the health of our nation. Now, we can look historically, but to your point, can we slow down? I'm not sure we can slow down, but I think what needs to happen is healthcare has always looked at nurses as one of the cogs in the wheel. Their focus is on keeping patients alive. So the workforce has come second, right? It's just something that they plug and play. I think we need a lot of stakeholders in the business of healthcare, healthcare businesses to start investing specifically in nursing. And that's what we do at IntelliCare. Our full focus is on understanding the work-life workforce management tools that nurses need to optimize their work-life schedules and also engage healthily in the healthcare systems when and where they want. So we're 100% per diem. We only mandate that nurses need to work one shift a year with us. And what that means is we thought nurses would just sign on to work with us like once in a blue moon, like, hey, when they had Saturday free. What we're finding is nearly 80% of our workforce that works for us it works more for us than they ever anticipated because we make it so easy. Like they're sitting on Friday night and they're like, you know what, I have tomorrow off. Like I want to work. And then they look on the app and they pick up the shift. And so then they're working. And it's not like they're giving up. I don't know if you know this in healthcare, but nurses on average have to give their vacation time six months in advance and it can be denied. So there is no flexibility in their lives. So they're constantly missing family events and birthdays and holidays and everything because Healthcare has made the value of nursing. The only thing that they see as relevant is that there is a nurse there. There is no appreciation that they're a mother or that they are a granddaughter or that there is something going on in their lives that they need to recognize and be present for external to work. And that fundamental premise is what is driving so many of our nurses away from the bedside, especially after what they've witnessed the past two years in COVID. So what if I'm understanding correctly, so instead of nurses getting like 
they would work with it or download the IntelliCare app and then find maybe a different hospital that they could work at, depending on what's available. So they're going all over the place, not to the same place over and over and over again. Yeah. So surprisingly, we actually focused on the long-term care community, which is sort of your skilled nursing facilities and your long-term facilities in that population. So they do exactly what you said there. They download the app, they get credentialed, which that credential meets the requirements to go into every facility. And then those facilities give us those open shifts. We use a lot of AI and data to be honest, to sort of predict when facilities will need these. And then we share these shifts within our platform. So the nurses go on and they're sitting there and, and everything is a very dynamic pricing model. So the nice thing is, is they can sit there and find, hey, you know what? I only want to drive 10 minutes away and I'm going to be reimbursed at this price. But if I'm willing to drive 45 minutes away, it's $5 more an hour and I can pick up that shift. Um, and then also lengths of shifts, like, you know, everything from eight hours to 12 hours. And, you know, we're really working to redefine those shifts as potentially start bringing on four and six hour shifts and working. So, Hey, you got to drop your kids off at school. Like there's a shift that's willing to let you start at eight as opposed to seven. So you can get your kids to school. So we are really working with our workforce to say, we know you're valuable and we know you have life commitments. And the truth is, is we have technology out there that can make things happen in ways that they have not been able to traditionally do so in healthcare that settings. That sounds really, really smart because you're not just solving the problem for the individual nurses, but also for those different settings of care and like connecting those dots. What about across straight state lines? Uh, so you can't, only if you're licensed across state lines can you do that. And you made a really interesting point, Joy, which is we're helping other care settings. And I think one of the most critical things that IntelliCare is doing is healthcare is not just hospital and hospitals have to discharge to nursing homes. And when you do not have what's referred to as bed throughput, where hospitals discharge people into nursing homes, the reality is everything backs up. And healthcare comes to a standstill. If you cannot discharge those patients from hospitals and put them in bed somewhere else where they can receive care, hospital systems will fail to function. And right now, we are in a crisis in our long-term care community within our nursing rehabs. As I told you, there's 130% turnover. There is not enough staff. Nursing homes are closing wards, closing floors. They're going from a bed of a nursing home that used to have 150 beds down to 75 because that's all they can find staff for. And that means hospital systems, and you're probably hearing this, are operating in censuses of what's considered disaster capacity because they have nowhere to put these patients. So IntelliCare is really focused on how do we supplement this bed throughput? How do we supplement the long-term care community? Because if we don't support you know, this bed throughput and, and nursing homes and ALS and all of these other locations to move patients out so they can rehab and then go home, the reality is no one will receive healthcare. And that's what we're risking right now. So we're focused there because we recognize that if that part of the business fails, that part of our country fails, it's not only all of our, you know, all of our loved ones who we have in nursing homes who are going to suffer, but it's going to be any of us who are going to need that step-down unit that are not going to be able to be provided care. And that means that we're not going to be able to access care at our hospitals because well, I mean, they're not All of that sounds really scary, honestly. It's petrifying. <laughs> it is yeah. scary, Joy. <laughs> I mean, it's so basically, if I'm understanding correctly, you're just like, okay, well, people that have, you know, either scheduled care, it, that's one thing, but, but if you have an accident or something's going to happen, like something surprising, which oftentimes if people go to the hospital, it's because of a surprise, then they might not have an opportunity to get the care that they need. 
So I wish to tell you that I have good news. I, I wish to tell you that the, the only good news is I can say is that because things are so bad, we have the chance for significant significant changes to do things differently. I think the next two to five years is going to be very painful. And I have to tell you, I've had more nurses that I have engaged with in the last few weeks that have told me patients are dying in their emergency rooms waiting for care because they cannot get them seen fast enough. Patients are dying in hospital beds because they could not get there to see them or treat them. Patients are dying in nursing homes because there's not enough nurses to go around and check on them. And that is a fundamental crisis of the health of our nation going forward. And let's be honest, nursing is not what, you know, it's it, the next generation. And even though applications are up to nursing school, there is a lot of women that look at nursing and I don't know if they see it as a profession for them, right? We're in a capitated reimbursement model. Nurses are told um, how much money they're going to make. They're told by many states, it's regulatory, how much a total amount can make. You hit 20 years of nursing experience and you're told, sorry, you've hit the top of the pay rate. You're never going to be paid more or anything else. And the truth is the average increase in nursing salaries only goes up on average 1.5% annually a year, which is less than half the cost of living. And the true and that functionality for getting a degree that costs you $200,000 a year to know that for most of your career, you're never going to make more than $80,000 a year, which for parts of the country and parts of the world is a lot of money. But the truth is for what our costs are going, that is not something that makes sense when you start to run the economic financial model around nursing. No. So, that's so it's scary on that level. And on a, on a patient level, it makes me just super motivated to want to stay healthy and stay the heck out of the hospital setting. It's absolutely the right thing. The more you can do to stay healthy and stay in the health school system right now is the best thing you can do, actually, for, for the health of the nation and for our hospital system. So do exactly what you're saying. Do as much as you can to stay healthy because it is, it's the right thing to do right now. Holy cow. I didn't realize it was that bad. I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was that bad. Yeah, it's um, it's it, and I, I, I have to say, there is a willingness for change, though, and an investment. I think willingness that needs to happen. And as I mentioned to you, nurses are rolled. Uh, the payer model is broken in nursing. As I said, we're part of a capitated system, and it all dates back to the 1920s when women, uh, largely nurses, worked independently, and hospitals were deplorable in the United States. Only the worst of the worst would go into hospitals because they had no money, right? Along these situations and situ- so hospitals started to look at if they brought nurses in and employed them, would they go up in value? And at that, the answer immediately became apparent as yes. So at that time, women didn't have large economic models. They looked to hotels because women had just got the right to vote. Hotels rolled maids into the room rate. They rolled nurses into the room rate. And that model became the predicate for Medicare Medicaid. And that model has not changed in over 100 years, which means nurses are rolled into the room rate. They cannot bill for any of their services, OT, PT, physical, you know, doctors. They all get put into a revenue side of the house. Nurses is lock, step, and key to being equated into the room rate. And so we're in the cost side of the business. We're almost less valuable, and you could argue, than you know, bedpans or wound dressings or wound care dressings, because those can be charged for. You can't charge for nursing. And so because we're a cost center, as you know, as a business person, you try to de-invest in cost. This is something, Joy, that has to change. And if we can change the payer model around nursing to actually strengthen it and not be seen as a cost to hospital systems, we might be actually able to do something magnificent for the profession. Are those conversations happening at HHS and the ONC and where they're like redefining what Medicare and what the regulations are? Is that part of the conversation? 
So I, I, I wish I wish to tell you that they were more. Nurses often don't have a seat at the table. You're going to see that the American Medical Association has a very, very powerful voice and lobby in Congress and often focuses on the physician needs. And nursing is always seen as second fiddle to those situations. So do I think they're happening? Do I think that uh, I think that they're passing in the walls? But many of the conversations that I've heard from payers who I negotiate or converse with are, yeah, we've heard this for years, but nothing's going to change because nurses are simply a function of the system. And that fundamental principle is going to be a breaking point for our profession. And what's going to happen is nurses are going to start leaving the profession, not coming back, and we're going to be met with more unskilled workers or less skilled workers to start caring for patients. And we know that when you put somebody in who only has three months of training in healthcare versus a nurse who has four... Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. So, yes, I do think we need those conversations. And I'm so glad to be here because I'm hoping somebody hears our conversation and rings the bell with the decision makers who say, wait a second, we've been spending so much time focusing on physicians. Like we need to be re-looking at nursing as as central to the health of our nation. Yeah, I didn't realize that they were part of the room rate. Like you breaking that down is new information for me. So. Nobody talks about it. I don't even think nurses know it. I, I don't think that we, that's why we are always like fighting for like, why can't we have a raise? And they're like, so sorry, you can't, you have to go on this step ladder because you know, we have a cost structure and what your value is to us and craziness. That's crazy. Holy cow, Rebecca. <laughs> First of all, I'm just like taking it all in because I feel like you probably have a lot of information in your head that I'm like, okay, how do we quickly get through all of this? It's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. And we don't have to do goal now, but thank you for letting me have this conversation with you, Joy, because just even opening up the idea that our nursing profession is at such significant risk. And as I'm just hoping that anybody who hears this starts to invest and feel like they too are a stakeholder and that they start advocating for more support of nursing within our healthcare systems. Well, so that would, I guess that's my next question. What advice would you have for nurses? What can they do other than, you know, write a letter to the manager or write a letter to their representative or something? Is there, is there a way for one, for them to advocate for themselves, but also for others to be advocating on their behalf? I think we're at the point, Kaiser nurses went on strike yesterday, the largest workforce in U.S. history. That's 32,000 healthcare workers who just voted to go on strike. That's a huge amount of strike. And I think that when nurses strike, it is the last call of what they're doing to call for help. I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of that happening across the United States. And I think that unfortunately is a function of the system where nurses do not feel heard or have a seat at the table to drive this outcome. So what could you do as a nurse? So one is, is I think you have to look at becoming more vocal about what your needs are and sooner. I think you need to learn how to negotiate with your managers about what matters to you. We are finding that a lot of nurses are just throwing up their hands on full-time and part-time. And if they are staying with their systems, they're staying per diem. I think that the reality is, is that nurses need to band together and have a voice and start looking at this profession and, you know, calling attention to the fact that they're in need of help. And I, I don't think that as a nurse, if you are on the verge of leaving, which is many of the nurses that I talk to, I just ask them to... I don't think it's fair to ask nurses to continue to sacrifice the way they are. I think it's awful that we refer to them as heroes because as much as I think a nurse or a nurse can call me hero, like it's just the wrong predicate of what we're doing. If you're a nurse and you're thinking about leaving, I would ask you to step back 
and think, what would it take for you to continue working? And then find an employer who would be willing to work with you in that kind of capacity. And if you're not, and you need that break in your space, go do something that you love. And don't don't let somebody else define what that passion is or not. And if you need to go and break from our profession and go do it, like Joy just did, go do it. Because I hope that that moment will bring you back. Because I don't know right now, Joy, if those who have left will ever come back. Mm-hmm. And I just want to tell any nurse that if you're at that breaking point, please reach out to me, reach out to Sanciel. Like, you know, if you want to work for IntelliCare, like do whatever you want. But the reality is do what's going to complete your soul so that you can get up again in the morning. Because the nurses that I've talked to, Joy, the PTSD of what they have faced in the last year, I know people refer to it as burnout. It's not burnout. Like burnout's for you and I who are like sitting here at home and working crazy hours on computers and talking to PTSD is when you are standing next to patient after patient and you are pouring blood into them and you are watching it pour out their stomach because they are bleeding out and that soul is drifting away from them and you're hanging drips and you are doing, uh, you know, ambu bags to keep breath in their lungs and you keep losing patient after patient and you are asked to come in every single day and watch people die. And that's what we've been living through. Honestly, I think it's unfathomable. It's a really humbling thing to be sitting on this side. I honestly have a hard time even saying the words that I work in healthcare because this is my home office. I'm not patient facing. You know, I get to have a lot of conversations with people in these medical settings and get to hear their expertise, but like I don't have to engage with patients and be looking at, you know, people passing away in front of me. And when we talk about burnout, I think you're out, you're hitting the mark. It's it's way more than that. And it's like, how do we support these folks? And I I know that you're you're on to something, but it's like it's gotta be like I the system itself where we expect that from them and to be able to continue doing it day after day. I have a hard time reconciling that like they're, it's not to say that they're not amazing humans, but I wouldn't expect them to be superhuman, right? <laughs> that is such a brilliant way of putting it. And, and that I think is what we've been asking of that workforce, to be superhuman, to sacrifice everything about themselves and their well-being and their energy every day. And not the nurses that I know and the ones that I love They've become shells of themselves. That lack of it, that ability to drive empathy and care has been pulled dry from them because the wells that they are and that they've been pulling from are gone. To your point, the systems and you know, the, the chief nursing officer of Vocera, of who Rhonda Collins says, you know, we're having cognitive burnout and overload, and we don't understand the moral distress that these nurses are under. And if you've ever listened to the New York Times specialty of stepping across that ICU and hearing those alarms going off constantly and patients coming in and out, and you're in head to toe PPE and, and you can't eat and drink and breathe. And when you get home, you are covered in bacteria that you think, oh my God, am I going to kill my kids? And there is just there is just such a level of pressure that nurses, because we've been rolled in the room, right? Nobody ever quantified what we actually do at the bedside, right? They look at us as a task-based things, but they didn't really quantify how that 360 wellness wraps around patients to keep them in line. And it is the nurse left not only, and I hate this image of nurses just holding hands, but literally, they are the ones as that patient passes away, literally being there, holding that hand and watching that life do. And then they walk into the next room and do it all over again. 
And there's no amount of yoga or meditation that's going to make that okay. <laughs> that's right, Joy. I'm so glad you say that. No amount of apps or yoga or, hey, you know what? Do more. Go take, do good. like, I think what happens is nurses hear this and they're like, you're telling me to do more, but then you're calling me on my days that I'm off and I don't even see my kids and I don't have groceries and my bills are backed up and I haven't been able to do laundry. And, you know, like the reality is it's all the things that we do as humans in our day-to-day life but the system that they walk into is like being in a war zone. And every day, it's not like, hey, you only have a one-year assignment. Like you signed up with the military, you have a one-year assignment and you're going home. We're saying to nurses, I'm sorry, you're going to be in a war zone for the next five years and you're never going to be able to go home. Yeah, that's been a conversation that's actually been coming up for me lately is like, how do people grieve? And especially if you don't, if you're not given the opportunity and time that you're just expected to keep going and it's got to be something that weighs on your heart. Like that isn't a lot to ask of anybody. I, and I don't think it's, if you've never witnessed anybody die, there is something that happens. I, I, I can't tell you what it's like to stand there and feel, because you do, the spirit leaves someone. And it's like, if, it's almost like if you could imagine like a fog that moves through your, your body and then it goes forward. And I don't believe that people recognize that I don't think we have a full grasp of when you witness a death in front of you, how that shifts your own spirit and what energy changes inside of you. Because we know that for soldiers who come back from battle zones, their minds are re-triggered, they're rewired. And this is happening to our profession right now. This is happening to those on the front lines. It's rewiring their ability to be human and be nurses and be compassionate. And it was one thing if it's one patient, it's one thing when a nurse is, and you probably know this, like nurses on average right now are carrying anywhere from one to four to one to six patients in good scenarios, um, which means that they have 10 or 15 minutes an hour to spend most with a patient. And many of these patients are requiring so much more care. And, and because families can't be within the healthcare setting, they're also managing the communications to all of these families and their responsibility on the shoulders of the nurse to be everything to the patient and the family, and then also to the healthcare system it's beginning to fracture and it's beginning to fracture in a way that potentially, if not addressed, is going to bring down our healthcare system as we know it. You're giving me chills. Not intentionally, not to, I'm very sorry, but it's, uh, that's, I guess actually how you just described chills is actually a really good way to explain what it's like or what you experience uh, when, when a life disappears in front of you. We were talking about in telecare, you had mentioned Sanseal. Is that, how are those two related? How are those I two organizations? So that's really nice of you to be generous. So Sanseal and I, I just have to say, IntelliCare has been incredibly generous to allow me to keep running that organization because it's made up by all nonprofits. It's a nonprofit. It's all made up by volunteer nurses. I mean, we have some rock star nurses, let's be honest. It's like the chief nursing officer of Microsoft. It's the you know chief nursing officer over at Cleveland Clinic and the head of innovation at uh, UPenn, um, and, which is Marion Leary, and like the, head of, the first director of innovation at Massachusetts General Hospital. What do we do in Sanseal? We run hack our, our biggest partners. We're Microsoft and J&J. We just ran one this past weekend, actually, on creating a sustainable nursing workforce. And Telecare was one of the sponsors. And we we had over 800 
people from around the world, 48 countries. We hacked virtually because we said if we gave nurses the chance to actually come up with solutions to the nursing crisis, it would be brilliant. And let me tell you, it was brilliant. Like such simple things that if healthcare systems only listened to their nurses, they would solve a lot of the problems that these nurses were facing to stay by the bedside. Um, but the, the Sancial is, is was largely founded with the intent of transforming the nursing profession because we knew it was in trouble years ago. And also that many people did not understand what nurses did and that you could walk nursing differently and do different things. And we could empower a profession that needed strong voices. We're not always under the hierarchy of what medicine decides for nursing. Um, and that's what we've been pretty successful at doing. And I think that in telecare, when they called me, because it hasn't been long, right? It's been only like maybe four months that I've been with them. When David called me, who's the CEO, he said, Rebecca, you know, um, I talked to you a couple of years ago and, you know, this is what we do in nursing. And I said, well, David, I'm sorry. I still think that you guys all got it wrong. You all keep treating nurses like commodities. You don't value and recognize that your resource is not the facilities. I understand they are the client, but your resource is, a, is not this commodity that you think there's going to be an end of supply of because this resource is dwindling. And if you could reinvent, if we as a company could really invest in the future of work for nursing, we might be able to save a profession that's under threat. So I guess Santiago, if anything, helped them find me. And, you know, I had a very, you know, I didn't have to worry about who I spoke to or what I did because everything that Santiago stood for was about empowering the nursing profession to walk life differently and have a seat at the healthcare table to transform healthcare going forward. And so there's overlap and there's support, but they're two slightly different things. But what I learned from when I talked to the nurses on the front line of Sanseal is everything that I think is going to make in telecare incredibly valuable because they are truly listening to nurses in ways that most in industry don't. So well, it sounds like both organizations are something that you bring your passions to. Have you been this passionate your whole life? Like I've been asking everybody, you know, what it, what would 10-year-old Rebecca think of what you're doing right now? So 10-year-old Rebecca would have thought that I would have been a lawyer or an attorney or running in politics, right? And so ner- why I became a nurse was uh, I was on my way to law school. And my mom, who had gone back to nursing school when I was in college, took me out to dinner. I was working on a presidential campaign. I was going to law school. Life was working out. And she sat me down at dinner and she said, you know, I, we don't think you should be a lawyer. She said, um, Rebecca, I, since I've entered nursing, she said, you know, there are plenty of powerful attorneys out there. She said, there are not enough powerful nurses. And at, when she was witnessing in the 19, you know, early 2000s, late 1990s, that nursing then was in trouble and they didn't have a voice. And she said, I need strong women like you to go into nursing. So I took it personally. I think I've always been a passionate person, but every day and every setback and every time the phone was hung up on me or that I was told I was just a nurse, I would come back to that statement and think to myself, I have to keep going because I have to tell you, there are so many times I wanted to leave. And there were so many times I was angry that I had chose this profession because nobody heard me. Every time a patient, I would want to drive systematic change, I would be told, oh, no, you're just a nurse or this thing's a nurse. And it wasn't until I started, you know, a hackathon changed my life and why I'm so passionate about it and why Sansales started was so that we can keep running hackathons. Um, but a hackathon changed my life and showed me so much about the business of healthcare that I didn't know, but also the value that nurses had to creating great healthcare solutions. Like it just blew my mind. I was like, we really have the practical knowledge to create great solutions. 
And if it hadn't been for that experience and then finding these few other nurses who suddenly felt the same way. And then we found and kept building and growing and finding each other. And really with a fundamental belief that a rising tide raises all boats. And I have to tell you, I will champion every single nurse that is at Sanziel every day of the week. If I can make an intro or get them a speaking engagement or show up on a podcast, it's what I do. Because I know that they are the more nursing voices that are going to be heard in healthcare, the more recognition of their brilliance and their necessity to have a seat at the table is going to be critical. And so that's what we do. Well, so then what have been some of the things that if you felt like you were at your breaking point and ready to give up, like what was it that you're like, nope, not going to, not going to do it. Not today. So I think that there's many, um, so (laughs) there came a breaking point at the bedside for me where, you know, I had a situation that, that was my last shift in the hospital because it was so devastatingly hard and disastrous to deal with. And I couldn't, um, the, the trauma that I experienced took me out of the hospital and put me into nursing homes where I started to practice. And then I started to teach and then I started to refill my cup. And then I started to pick up more shifts and do all of those things because fundamentally, What I realized is nurses do this job, and I know you hear this all the time, because they feel things and they are empaths and they want to alleviate suffering of others. That's a very weird skill like that. I don't think everybody thinks that they're just going to step in and sacrifice everything that they're doing that day to meet somebody else's needs. I think you get when you're a mom because you have to take care of the babies and the kids and whatever. But unlike that, I've never witnessed any other profession that truly sacrifices 100% of themselves for a person in front of them. And that's what nursing does. So what I realized was regards to all of those dark moments, there were enough really brilliant moments that always gave me hope for a better future. And if it wasn't in the hospital setting and then into nursing homes and then into teaching, I just said, let's just keep evolving. And every time when it felt like it was really hard, and I'm a big believer in this story too, when it got really hard, and I'm not a very religious person, but I'm a believer that when things get really hard, If there is a God, it's God's way of telling you, you can't stay. I'm making it really hard for you because I have bigger plans for you. And if you stay doing what you're doing, then you are lost in what your potential is. So all those cusps of moments of my time where my career shifted and things happened and they felt really hard, I started to say, hey, you know what? It's just to push me to do better. And I hope that if that gives some people, some of these nurses who are listening or other women who are listening... If they're in a situation that just is robbing them of their soul, it's not you. You're not supposed to stay. Take that leap of faith. Do what you just did. Like, take that leap of faith and own it. I mean, the thing is, there's no shortage of things to do. So if you want to switch, if you want to switch your profession or change jobs, but still work in healthcare, like there's plenty of jobs out here. There's a lot of work to be done. <laughs> there is currently... Uh, it's going to be there. There's a 255% increase of openings in nursing this time to this year than there was a year ago. So there is no shortage, especially in nursing. Holy cow. So my last official question will be, if you had advice, you've already given really great advice, but if you could give advice to somebody who's just entering their career, somebody who's maybe 22, 23 years old, or even yourself at that age, what would you say to them? I saw a great quote a while ago that says, bet on your future self. And when you start off, you have all of these dreams about life. And somewhere along the way, life has a way of making you doubt it or thinking it's impossible or that it's not going to happen for you. 
don't listen to that. And don't let other people define what your passion or your success looks for, looks like in that way. So if there's anything I can say, if you're 22, own it, be proud of it. Say, I believe in my future self and keep that image always central. It's not going to be easy. I'm not telling you that when you believe that, it's not going to happen. And the world and the road is going to be curvy and up and down and backwards sometimes. But if you keep that vision going forward, it will happen. I totally agree with you. And I think the idea of knowing that sometimes your path is going to go backwards. Like it's not a always one step in front of the other. Sometimes you're like, oh, <laughs> go take two steps back. <laughs> We're going to try again or do the cha-cha. But like... <laughs> just going with it and making sure that you're keep going. Ultimately, just keep going. Got it. And honestly, you will never, ever regret. And I think that we see this in our, in in America and across the world, all this idea of like midlife crises and people have them because I think they forgot that what they, who that, what really made them happy, they lost sight of somewhere around the road. So they crisis, right? They crisis. Like we can prevent a lot of that. If a whole bunch of 22 year olds in the nation heard us today that just keep going and bet on yourself. And the truth is, is the world will get better because their dreams are going to make the world a better place. So yeah, you're reminding me of something and you were were saying future self. And in my head, I'm thinking higher self. And I saw something recently where she's like, I'm in a relationship with my higher self where I'm basically... (laughs) you know, constantly negotiating of like, how do I make that person the best version of myself, the person that is, you know, wants the best for me and, you know, in all the areas, the pie chart of my mental and physical well-being and emotional well-being, like, how do I, how do I treat that person the best that I possibly can? And anyway, that's just what you inspired me. (laughs) I love it, Joy. Thank you so much. Yes. Well, Rebecca, thank you. I feel like I feel energized through talking with you. And um, if people want to work with you, if they want to get in touch, if they want to follow you or if they want to get on the IntelliCare, you know, app, how would you direct them? Oh, yeah. So they can certainly reach out to me on LinkedIn. I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. If you have questions or want to reach out to me, you can definitely email me at IntelliCare, which is our love at IntelliCare.com. And if you just are like, hey, I want to get started tomorrow, all you have to do is download the IntelliCare app if you're a nurse or a CNA and you want to start getting started because it's really that easy. But truthfully, please do reach out. I know that feels hard um, sometimes, but it's some of the best advice that I ever got early on. And I do my darndest to make sure I reach back out to people as well. That's such a nice feeling of like, when you reach out, there's somebody there to reach back. So thank you for everything that you're doing. And thank you for this time with me today. This has been a real treat. And I've learned a lot. (laughs) I'm so glad. I don't know. Sometimes it's all in your head and you just don't know. But Joy, thank you for having me. It's been, I mean, you just are an incredible conversationalist. And thank you for making me feel comfortable and able to speak the truth. Sometimes I don't find that that's natural to do. Happy, happy, happy to do it. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon.